The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner from Post 9, front and center this hour, the road ahead for your money. Big tech is now in the books. A historic Fed meeting now looms. What all of it means for where stocks could head next. We'll debate that, of course, with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone. Shannon Sakosha is here along with Josh Brown and John Nigerian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall. 12 in the east. I'll show you what the markets are doing. It's not a pretty picture either on this Friday. We've got red across the board. April is usually a good month for the markets, not this time. And good riddance to it because right now you're working on the worst month for the S&P since March of 2020. NASDAQ right now, obviously on the back of Apple and Amazon, is down one and three quarters percent. It's the worst month for the NASDAQ since October, November of 2008. You remember that period? That wasn't good. But that's what everything looks like now. So, Josh Brown, where does this now leave us? Did we solve anything this week? Do you feel like you have any more clarity on where we might go now that this big earnings week is in the books? Uh, No, this is actually exactly what I told you I was worried about. So I think... Look, we have to acknowledge that this is the worst start to the year for 60-40 portfolios, which is what most of our viewers have some version of, 80-20, 70-30. In either case, you have to go back to 1980 to find a year where stocks were down double digits and bonds were down worse. Uh, there has been no place to hide other than cash. Even a, even a five-year treasury, uh, you got slaughtered on duration. And in that kind of environment, um, you have to learn technicals. Like you, you can't be one of these people that comes on in January, February, March, arguing with me, telling me, oh, this is a great company. Yeah, we all understand that, but the stock is for sale four out of five days. And then we have these green days where the Dow goes up 800 points and everybody forgets you're in a downtrend. You're in a bear market in the NASDAQ. You're in a statistical downtrend in the S&P as of right now. We're going to finish this month, as I told you, below the 10-month moving average for the first time in a long time. This is not an environment that's rewarding fundamental happy talk about how great the management is or how innovative the software is. Nobody cares. Stocks are for sale. That's not going to continue indefinitely. And by the way, the money has to go somewhere. So you're not going to have bonds and stocks continue to lose day after day. But... You have to understand the environment you're in before you start worrying about, was this a good or bad earnings quarter? Nobody cares. If you had a good quarter, your stock's down 5%. If you had a, a neutral quarter, your stock's down 12 And if you had a really bad quarter, you're down 40 That's the environment you're in. So what does that mean? If you're a trader, you're tightening up your stops, you're picking your spots, you're buying extremes in, in, in sentiments, you're buying that VIX 31.32, and you're getting out very quickly. If you're an investor, if you're an investor, there's no rush anymore. 
Remember the FOMO environment? Oh my God, I can't believe I'm not in that stock. It goes up every day. Show me, that doesn't exist. Even the oil stocks are down now. So you could take your time and let's, let me let that bring me to Amazon very quickly. I don't know if Warren Buffett has other plans this weekend other than the, the Berkshire annual meeting, but I would be shocked if somebody, Ted, Todd, is not pencils down taking a look at this stock because this has always been the one that got away uh, from Berkshire. And if you think about the Apple purchase, Judge, 10 years ago, um, this is the exact environment that they bought Apple into. Apple was trading eight times earnings, backing out the cash. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. If they're not looking at Amazon at Berkshire Hathaway, I would be absolutely floored. So here's a stock that I think you, you look at and you say, okay, it's down huge today, but the market's awful. Be down huge next week too. What's gonna change? What's gonna stop the selling? Probably nothing. So there's no rush to buy it here, but there are opportunities being created because of how bad this market acts. And I think it's gonna get worse, and I've been saying that for a long time, but that doesn't mean you have to be long-term bearish. You have to get, start getting excited about these technical downtrends. Even if they're gonna get worse, you have to start looking. All right, that was a near four-minute riff. And a good one, by the way. Yeah. Done. It was a good one I'm because go. it set the whole I'm, table. I'm <laughs> Drop the mic and go. It was, Carrie. Um, so things could get worse, right? I heard, I heard Josh, and we're gonna get into the Amazon story in, in a moment. He's provocative in, in his perspective there on what it may mean for a Berkshire or others who are taking a look at this stock on, you know, you just don't see this kind of downturn in the stock that often for an Amazon, nor do you see a revenue uh, growth slowdown, the manner of which you're, you're seeing now. But I go back to the question I asked Josh at the top, to what sort of clarity we got this week if, if any, did, did we supply chain issues? They persist, right? Apple told you that, and they may feel it in the in the terms of eight billion dollars. So we got that. The consumer is the consumer weakening. Is the consumer wavering? Ad spend, enterprise spend. What what's your takeaway? Do you feel better or worse about where we are after these earnings came in? Well, I I think a little bit better um, because some of the worst possibilities have not been achieved. We've had reasonably good numbers from from the big tech. You know, even Amazon to the effect that they said um, more or less publicly, we're beginning to think about profits rather than just about spending money more and more. Um, so I, I come away feeling uh, a, a little bit better. What, what I would say to the question of what did we learn about the market and where this might stop it, it, it is the following. The top five names in the S&P, that's Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, and what did it, Google, um, sell for a multiple of 28 times. The rest of the S&P, the other 495 stocks, sell for about 16 and a half times earnings. Of this year, next year, about 15 and a half times. So one could say that if you're looking for a valuation level, and perhaps we're looking for valuation floor, that the S&P may be getting close to a point where if you're Warren Buffett, Elon Musk for sure, he's not really worried so much about earnings. This is all spare change, as I said the other day about him. He, he and others can look at companies and make purchases because they've got the capital and capability. So I, I guess investors should look for what price they want to pay for stocks. Don't pay as much attention to what's happening day to day. Just 
if you find names that feel very attractive based on what you think they can earn over the next few years, there are opportunities, as Josh, who's always provocative, has just said. Well, I mean, you know, Josh said everything other than table pounder on Amazon, right? I mean, that's the perspective that if, if it's not good enough at this point for Buffett and company, who's it good for? I mean, it's come down a lot. When was the last time you just don't see Amazon down $400 uh, in, in a session? The worst day, right? It's so, the worst day for Amazon since, it's worst individual day for Amazon since 2011. And I know we're going to talk more about it later. Uh, yeah. This is not a bad quarter. The problem is it's normalization of the typical growth rate back to 2019 early 2020 prior to the pandemic. But that's the market is, you're talking about people who have the attention span, like they're, they're, they're on TikTok, they're on Twitter, they can't even think straight. If you think about, if you think about what's going on at, at Amazon, uh, cloud growth is almost 40%. Uh, that's the growth business, not groceries. How do you not understand that? Um, look no, at the course, advertising the platform is, growth, it's on fire. The, the problem is, the problem is, um, speaking of the cloud doc, and, and you own the stock, AWS was 40% growth last quarter. Um, and it's, it's still robust, obviously. You look at 36% growth. That's not 40 though. Mm -hmm. So you have concerns that things no. are slowing even on the margins. John Najarian, give me your perspective here. Is, mm -hmm. is this a, a no brainer buy at this point of shares of Amazon, which are having a historic pullback? Um, I think it will be a no-brainer pullback next week, Scott. I don't think it's a no-brainer pullback today. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I, I own Amazon. I've written calls against it. They are not saving my bacon today um, because, obviously, uh, there, weren't, there weren't calls available to me, Scott, uh, other than deep in the money calls that could have offset a 300-point decline in the stock, which is what we've seen today. I think that probably gets a little worse next week. I like what Josh said about the potential that um, Warren's team, because it was never, of course, Warren Buffett that got into Apple. It was his team that pushed him into Apple. And they may be, um, uh, you know, basically uh, in a meeting right now making a similar pitch about Amazon. Yeah, but rest um, assured, they wouldn't be in Apple. They wouldn't be in Apple and to the magnitude of which they are without the king. Right. So, I mean, I know it's said, well, oh, yeah. it's his team and all right, this right. and that. We don't know that for sure. I mean, they wouldn't mm -hmm. be. We do know that for truck. sure. He has I said know, that. But yeah, but but they wouldn't continue judge, to back up the judge, truck if they didn't have the Charlie Munger, of, of the king. Judge. Charlie, Charlie Munger is buying Alibaba on margin right now for the Daily Journal company. They they're a little gutsier than we we give them credit for. And please remember, Geico was pretty much a penny stock. Uh, when they first started, started establishing their position. Please remember, Amex was the fintech of its day. It was revolutionary when Buffett and Co. started buying into that. We just look at these companies now like old stodgy brands. Um, right. but, but understand, they love businesses like this. Amazon raised its prime membership rate from 119 to 139 this year. There was a, a recent survey of Prime members. 98% of current Prime members said that they're going to re-up. Tell me how that's not a classic Berkshire Hathaway business. That's literally the moat, the, the, uh, the, 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 the recurring business, everything that they look for at, when they look for a great brand. And the reason why this is so obvious to me, there are very few stocks that could move the needle at Berkshire. 
It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in the stock portfolio, 150 billion ish in cash right now. There's almost nothing they could buy that actually would matter. Uh, Amazon's big enough where they actually could take a position without taking over the whole company, and it would matter. So yeah. I don't know Chan anything. It's all speculation. But I'm saying this is the kind of stock in the kind of environment that a growth at a reasonable price investor should be looking at. So, Shannon, I mean, I, I counted them up. At least 24 target cuts on Amazon today. You've got cuts from 4550 or the 4500 level back down to 4000. Some are as low as 3500. Looks to be as bad as the target cuts have gotten to 3450, 3300 over at Raymond James. Josh makes a very provocative argument here for a deep value investor and you own this stock. We're fortuitous to have the crew we do today because everybody does own Amazon. Time to buy? <laughs> Scott, I mean, Josh talked about normalization. The multiple on Amazon is compressed by 45% since the middle of 2020. Um, this, a lot of this has been priced into that multiple already. And if you think about the combination of a recurring cash flow that can fund additional uh, investment in AWS and advertising, which is going to be a high margin business. I know that you're saying slowing from 40% to 37%. I understand. However, the margins in that part of the business are extraordinary. And so from my perspective, if I'm looking out over the course of the next several years, we are seeing demand destruction, not caused by the Fed, but caused by inflation. We're going to get slower growth into next year. Um, what's going to remain consistent is enterprise spend. And so wouldn't I like to own a company that's going to be able to benefit from enterprise spend while having free cash flow coming into the to the amount that Amazon has on its balance sheet right now? I sure would. And at a multiple that we've seen, you know, not since uh, for a very long time in terms of its uh, attractiveness from a valuation perspective, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not as concerned as some of these price targets. These price targets are a, a mo the absolute moving target. They react to the earnings. Um, they take down their numbers. Um, if we're thinking about the next three to five years, Scott, that enterprise spend is going to continue to grow and Amazon's going to benefit from that while also being one of the top consumer names for us in our basket. We're not going to get rid of Prime. We're not going to get rid of our iPhones. This is going to be a story that we are going to enjoy because they are going to be more thoughtful to Carrie's point about costs. So, I, you know, I just I understand what's happening today, but I don't see this moving out of my portfolio and an overweight position in my portfolio anytime soon. Dr. J, I mean, I, I, you said something quite interesting to me when I asked you whether it's time to buy the stock. You said not today, even as tempting as it might be down no. 400 bucks. Um, and your, your view is, you know, not on an island. I mean, Mark Newton, right? He's the technician over at Fundstrat with Tom Lee. He says the drop likely mm -hmm. extends to May, June uh, before you get a serious bottom here. 2377, again, he's a technician, so he gets rather specific. And, you know, let's call it ballpark, even if it is 2377. Doc, your point of view here is that it's too early. It is too early to buy this stock as yeah. ripe as it looks for the picking. Yep. I've rolled down, you know, basically no to these at the money calls, Scott, to protect yourself. Um, operating um, income fell 58%. I mean, you know, if that doesn't ring a bell someplace, 58%. I mean, I'm looking 8.9 billion to 3.7 billion. 
That's going to take that's a while to shake people's. Uh, well, yes, it is, John, Josh. But they're doing that I mean, on purpose. a fifty-eight percent. Hey, can I finish? Um, if you're going to drop yeah. operating income fifty-eight percent, that's not a small move, Josh. That is a massive move. Now, can they stop that? Yes, they can. And the CEO, Jaffe, uh, uh, Andy, expressed that that he's going to do that. But it's a show me time now. They have to show us that they really are willing to cut back on all those hires and all the uh, CapEx that we talked about right. with all the jets and airplanes and trucks and everything else. <laughs> you know, they have you know to do thinking, that. If they do you know, that, doc, go ahead. I'm sorry, I was going to say it's like a Freudian slip to uh, almost saying Jeff. Because he bounced at the right time. He knew that the comps were going to be impossible from the pandemic. So he's probably like, I'm out. I'm yep. going to go do something else. And I'm going to let Andy <laughs> figure out how to do all this on the other Judge, side when the comps had, get tough. Judge, you also had a new, you also had a new wife. You, ha you, have to, you have to assume comps are part of it. But, like, it's also cool to have some fun when you, when you yeah. first get married. And uh, I'm just saying. the biggest yacht in the world and whatever. I'm just saying, it, right, it was going to be tough out, to continue to make those numbers. Let's do this. Let's bounce and talk about um, Apple now. Uh, everybody owns that, too. And, and that's a real battleground today, whether, you know, the stock has kind of been all over the place um, for the most part. So, Kerry, what's, what's your read here now? What do we do here? Supply chain is obviously an issue, and it's not going away anytime soon, right? You get a fifth of the revenues out of China, so you have a demand and a supply story coming out of China. What's your takeaway here? Well, it's very interesting, the action of the stock. Uh, last night it was up first uh, in overtime and then it was down 5% and now it's outperforming the market uh, nicely. So I think the digestion has been that they had an incredible quarter. You know, you just can't take that away from them. Much better than expected on, on many measures, particularly iPhones, which are the most important part of the business. But we know 80% of those are assembled in China and 20% of the sales were in China. And, and Tim Cook talked about that. The way I, I would look at, at, at Apple is the following. Um, it's, it's still um, a strong, safe, and extremely, I'd say, predictable company in a certain way. So it provides that level of reassurance and stability to portfolios. There aren't that many people who are overweight Apple because it's too big a percent of the S&P. And there aren't that many people who don't have Apple. And so they keep it in their portfolios because it's such a great company. Whether it's too expensive a stock, remember it, it outperformed dramatically last year and has been a very strong performer through, through the pandemic and since we've reopened. Whether it's slightly too expensive is really the question. And that's what you know, professional investors debate. Do you want to pay, you know, uh, a multiple and a half, um, you know, one and a half or two, two times what the market is selling for? Well, maybe you don't. But it, what do you do with the money otherwise? And that to me is, is still a debate on Apple. Is this quality so high that you want to retain it in your portfolio and not worry about what four months from now or five months from now will be a problem that they have resolved? You know, Josh, we made the point of, you know, and, and you did going into the number that 150 was a critical level for Apple, 150, 155. The stock has recovered quite nicely from looking like it might be in the danger zone. Do you have a good feel on where you think Apple goes from here as it sits at 160? So it's $10 above that critical level, and it's still 20 some odd bucks, 25, 30 bucks away from its high. 
Yeah, and importantly, Microsoft had a false breakdown below 275 and recovered really fast. And these were the two things that I felt had to hang in there in order to save this market. And so far, that's what's playing out. Um, but, but we are really not getting uh, we are really not getting a lot of follow through here. The new lows list is expanding. Um, the I guess the most bullish thing I could tell you is that the AAII survey this week. Um, is at a level, uh, the spread between bulls and bears, is at a level more bearish than anything we've seen outside of the great financial crisis. Literally, this is it. We ain't never seen, oh, I'm, I'm on the show 11 years with you, Judge. We ain't never seen an environment this negative. And the people who answer that survey question, AAII, are people who own Apple, Microsoft, they own the Qs. These are 60-40 portfolio investors. It makes sense that they're this bearish. They have an 11% haircut to start the year in a diversified portfolio, and that's if they're just in the indexes and not in individual stocks. Um, but that's like the most positive thing I could say right now is that we're already at washout levels of sentiment. But technically, the internals, none of that stuff looks good yet. None of it. So I'm glad Apple and Microsoft hung in there and are above those key breakdown levels. I can't promise you they'll, they'll be above those levels on Monday. Feels very much like it's like, yeah, you, you take a bite of the burger and you're like, well, it's not the worst one I've ever had. It doesn't mean it's good. So let's do this. Let's, 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 let's take a quick But I'll still finish it. <laughs> let's take a quick break. We'll talk about Elon Musk. He's selling billions of dollars worth of Tesla shares to help finance his bid for Twitter. So we'll talk about that with Dr. J. He's got a place uh, position in Tesla that needs to be discussed. We'll debate that. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. There are stocks. We're at session lows. Dow's down by nearly 500 again. We're working on the worst month for the S&P. Since March of, of 2020, the S&P is down by nearly 2%. NASDAQ's getting dragged, uh, not surprisingly, by Amazon. And another big story this week has been Tesla. Speaking of the NASDAQ, the shares are higher today, despite new filings that show Elon Musk sold more than $8 billion worth of Tesla shares this past week as part of his plan to secure funding to buy Twitter. Dr. J., you own Tesla calls. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what your read is on this story. We knew somebody was selling because the stock was down a lot earlier in the week, and it turns out it was Elon himself. Yep. Um, I'm long the June 900 call, Scott. 
um, and I've written lots of other calls against it. Um, I, I thought that Elon could have borrowed against the Boring Company, you know, one of his privately held companies, or uh, against SpaceX, or against Tesla. Obviously, he had to put up $62 billion, I think, in Tesla shares against that $12 billion uh, line of credit, if you want to call it that, that he has to complete this deal, where he'll have a total of $21 billion up. Um, I guess he wanted to get a little more liquid uh, and have more of that. So, like you say, he sold $8 billion worth. Um, I don't think that changes anything about the company, really, uh, materially, Scott. So I'm still in those 900 calls. I had rolled the 1,000 calls that I was short against it down to the 950s, which I'm still short those 950s against the 900s. And I'm pretty comfortable in that position. So uh, uh, I think overall, like I say, he could have, in my mind, Scott, I used to help firms do this, borrow against their holdings without incurring that taxable event of selling those shares. This is a massive tax event for Elon. Obviously, it's not due until April 15th of next year. But nonetheless, um, this is going to be another one of those record uh, tax payments by Mr. Musk, regardless of where he gets any other losses from. It's not going to stack up against this. So um, again, I, I just thought it was an inefficient way to do it, Scott. I heard you say, you know, it doesn't impact the way you think about the fundamentals of the company, but fundamentals and the stock can be disconnected, you know, as we've seen in numerous occasions. Yep. So is there the, the chance that this stock just has further downside in the unpredictability uh, of Musk and, and what happens in the future? Well, um, as we both know, uh, uh, Bill Gates was on the other side of the trade. It was on the short side. I don't know if he covered it all. Um, if you got an announcement that Mr. Gates decided that he actually will put his money where his mouth is as far as the environment and so forth, instead of betting against Tesla and covers that short, I would think this thing's right back through a thousand like that, Scott. Um, and so uh, you want to buy in your shorts when the market's down hard like it was being pushed by that artificial, um, uh, by the selling that Mr. Musk created himself. Again, I think a very inefficient way to address what he wanted to do, but uh, it's his right. money. He can do with it as he pleases. Josh, how do you read this? How do you read this story? Eight billion dollars worth of stock this week to help finance the deal. I mean, this is obviously some look, you got to a point and he's been there for a while where it's not the money is not the thing anymore. It's the richest man in the world. So what? What is he competing with? What, like, what is he trying to attain? Be the richest man on, on Pluto? So at that point, you don't do things for purely economic reasons anymore. No, nobody does. Um, and, and so this looks like an example where we're trying to analyze, like, is it smart to trade Tesla stock for Twitter exposure? It's, it's not a financial decision. It's, it's, it's his passion. It's what he, he's made it very clear. This is his favorite app on Earth. This is how he would spend a lot of his free time if he could. Um, and this is what he wants to do. So I don't think that Tesla shareholders should look at this and think that there's any um, signal there in terms of whether or not they should buy or sell the stock. Because mm -hmm. one thing has nothing to do with the other. No offense, like you, me, all of us, we're apples and Elon is oranges. And, and that's just what it is. Yeah. So, Shan, you know, you don't, you don't have a position in, in Tesla but I'm sure you have a perspective on it. 
Yeah, I, I don't. I actually don't disagree with Josh. I mean, I, I think we should spend a lot less time talking about what this means for Tesla shareholders um, because it's completely uh, different um, than what we should be talking about, which is really what it means for Twitter. And so, from from my perspective, you know, this is uh, you know a large holding in the S P five hundred. People are going to have exposure to it, whether or not they're taking an active bet in it or not. Um, and I don't think this is reflective. We might see some just near-term technical pressure because of these sales. But I think if you're in Tesla as, a, as an active shareholder, um, this shouldn't concern you. It's much more interesting for, for, I think, for investors to look out over the Twitter landscape over the next couple of years and determine if that, that's really an investable company at this point. And, and is this going to change anything in the next 12 to 24 months? And should you be thinking about that? as a source for capital um, rather than worrying about Tesla in this environment. Yeah, let's give you a look at uh, stocks uh, at this very moment. We mentioned a few moments ago the Dow is approaching a near 500 point loss and we're edging ever closer to that milestone there, or at least for this day. Uh, 480 is the loss right now. It's close to one and a half percent. S&P now is uh, giving up 4200 and that's been a really, it's been a key technical level for the market certainly a psychological level to some respects. And we just have been really been able to, to maintain much above that of, of late. There's the NASDAQ, which is down by two and a quarter percent as well. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, John has unusual activity. We're going to talk about a big Dow mover to trade today. One of our investment committee members has a position in it. We're back in just two minutes. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Contessa Brewer with your news headlines this hour. Russian President Vladimir Putin has been making veiled threats about using nuclear weapons, if what he calls outside interference in Ukraine poses a danger to his country's national security. While rhetoric aside, Reuters reports today an unnamed senior U.S. defense official is shrugging it off, saying, quote, we do not assess that there's a threat of use of nuclear weapons and no threat to NATO territory. 
Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich may have found a buyer for his Chelsea football club. He's under pressure from U.K. sanctions. The Wall Street Journal reports after a two-month auction, a group led by Los Angeles Dodgers part owner Todd Bailey is set to enter exclusive talks to buy the team. It's expected to sell for more than $3 billion. That would be a record price for a professional sports franchise. And in London, three-time Wimbledon champs Boris Becker has been sentenced to serve two and a half years in prison for hiding $3 million of assets and loans to avoid paying his debts after declaring bankruptcy. Halftime back in two minutes. I want to keep updating you on the state of the stock market. It's 1237 on the East Coast, and there's basically 500 points for the Dow, as, as we mentioned. There, there it is right there. I mean, the market was confused. It thought that April was May when you're supposed to sell and go away, apparently, Carrie. Because um, this is trying to get ahead of the Fed, maybe as well, which is coming this week. Let's not forget about that. You're expecting 50 basis points. But who knows really what the commentary is going to be uh, around that. And bond market's kind of been calling the shots lately, too. So how do you assess all of that heading into that now that we have to look forward to with another key week of earnings as well? Well, I think bringing up the Fed is a good point. Uh, one uh, problem the Fed is going to have is that the market is doing some of its work for it, as, as we've discussed on the show, that when you have uh, wealth erode and portfolios going down and for 1K plans at the rate that they are, there's definitely a feeling of less money, less wealth, less ability to spend. And that's what the Fed is trying to rein in, you know, too much demand and not enough supply. So I, I, I think in a way that they'll grapple with this and, and maybe they'll, you know, they'll do the 50, but they may be less hawkish about future rate increases because of what's been going on in the market. So, you know, the market could take perhaps some feeling of solace from that next week, oh, you man, know, looking for, well, you know, it's possible, right? I mean, well, well, I mean, anything's possible. I don't know. Anything's possible, but yeah. It's not likely. Right? I think there's less likely. No well, indica- there's no indication that the Fed is about to turn less hawkish. In fact, the risk is way to the other side. I feel, hmm. Carrie. I don't. Well, I don't. I don't think that's true. And they they flip pretty fast. And I think they can flip again if they see there that the damage is is there. And we start to see less inflation. Home. Look at home sales. They're already starting to come down. I mean, we're already seeing the mortgage rates are having a big effect on um, on the housing market. So uh, there there's fast reactions to um, to to pieces of news and and uh, actionable items in in the economy that we're all seeing that 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 John implies that the Fed put still exists somewhere and maybe it does. But it sure doesn't feel like it's in this market decline neighborhood or, or anywhere close that you'd have to have a real disconnect in the stock market for that Fed put, which many have declared dead, to actually show its face uh, again. And there's just not an, any idea that we're in the ballpark. Well, Scott, I, I think uh, for the most part, yes, you are correct. But I will point out, which I think Kerry was kind of alluding to as well, that uh, at some point, the Fed's hands, or whether they decide to throw multiple 50 basis point increases at this Uh, inflation that's not transitory, if they chose to do that, they will drive us into a recession. Uh, They can hit it with one. They might be able to hit it with two, Scott. But if it goes beyond that, 
they can't really get this inflation, just like toothpaste, back into the tube. It will have to take time, and their hands uh, will be all over. They will have blood on their hands from driving the, the, not just the market, but the economy into a recession if they hit it too hard. They waited way too long. They do need to make some moves, and they're about to do just that next week. But, you know, multiples of that will not result in lower inflation. It'll just result in, in, in uh, recession, Scott. Well, it may, it may result in both. Um, and that's the, the great risk, it, perhaps. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and frankly, all, all of this is happening at such a, an amazing time for what's taking place this weekend, too. And you can believe the Woodstock for capitalism, and that, of course, is Berkshire Hathaway's annual shareholder meeting. It's tomorrow. It's back in person in Omaha for the first time since 2019. And CNBC.com, as I hope you know by now, is covering it exclusively. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are going to take the stage to answer shareholder questions for five hours. It's an event that will be live streamed only on CNBC.com. Those events kicking off at 9.45 a.m. Eastern Time on cnbc.com backslash Buffett. As I said, you know, they've got to be asked about, yes, I know they're going to be asked about the portfolio and everything else, but just the state, Josh, of the (laughs) markets. I can't wait to hear what, you know, Munger is even more provocative than Buffett sometimes, but I just can't wait to hear what they say about what they think we're in for. Yeah, and five hours, just to put that into context, they re-released The Godfather uh, in theaters last month, and I went, first one, and uh, I think the movie's three hours, 20 minutes. I needed three bathroom breaks, so I don't really know how this is going to go, go, go on, but whatever. I'm very excited about it. A um, couple of things on this that I think are important. They bought back a lot of stock last year, and they said they would, and they changed the rules about what they said they were going to do. At first, they were looking at it as a multiple of book value to determine whether or not to buy back stock, but I just think... At a certain point, you run out of ideas or things that you're willing to do outside of it, and you do more. So I'd be curious to hear if any questions come up or if there are any statements they want to make about their plans to continue to do buybacks because they still have a lot of cash. The other thing, and this may be somewhat uh, controversial, um, and a lot of people won't talk about this publicly, a lot of money managers, I think there is like a, a, a... I think there is a growing feeling that the old man better not succumb to all this ESG nonsense. And what I mean, but not that ESG itself is nonsense, but there are now shareholder proposals that have nothing to do with making money that are like these governance things, these social things. And it's not that they shouldn't be taken seriously. It's that a lot of this stuff could end up being really counterproductive and against the true Berkshire way that got them this far and that created all this wealth uh, around the globe. Um, And so we really want to hear, I think, that they're not going to succumb and start breaking down and doing these things. Clean energy is a good example. This is a company that's spending more money and more time and energy on clean clean energy solutions than any other utility uh, you could find probably in the world, but definitely in America. They're spending $4 billion on wind power in Iowa. Nobody else is doing that. We don't want to have a situation where they have to start doing company-level reporting. It's a ton of paperwork, a ton of aggravation, and you're never going to be green enough to make everybody happy. They have hundreds of individual companies under the Berkshire <laughs> umbrella. 
and very few central employees in the home office. So we don't want to hear uh, that they're going to start doing all of these, this reporting and documentation. I, I, I very strongly believe let this company make people money. People can spend that money how they want. Buffett's already given $40 billion to charity, and he's still alive. Like, let's well, encourage more of that and less of right. the bureaucracy. You say we because you're a shareholder in B. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, and I don't, the stock I don't, Listen. Yeah, I Go don't ahead. want them to materially change the, the decentralized governance strategy. Greg Abel is, I think he's 59 years old or something like that. Ajit Jain is 70. Um, it's a very strong team that's ready and, and willing to continue their roles uh, when, when Warren and, and, and Charlie either decide to hang it up or, or something else. And I think there's a lot of confidence among the shareholder base. Uh, they've done this transition very deliberately, so I'm happy about that. But the soul of Berkshire, the culture, trusting management of all these smaller companies and relying on the fact that you're going to have shareholders who are smart enough to let this company operate the way it has. That's the thing that if you're worried about the culture and the longevity of Berkshire beyond Warren and Charlie, that's the reassurance that you're gonna want this weekend. And I'm hoping that we get it. Just to remind you one more time, speaking of this weekend, do not miss CNBC.com's exclusive coverage of Berkshire Hathaway's annual shareholder meeting, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger taking the stage. And again, answering shareholder questions for five hours. It's an event that will be live streamed only on CNBC.com. It's an extraordinary day, which kicks off at 9.45 a.m. Eastern time. And again, you can find it at CNBC.com backslash Buffett. Still ahead, unusual activity. Plus, CNBC is celebrating Financial Literacy Month. Here's contributor Steve Grasso on how financial literacy can bring in more capital to Wall Street. Financial literacy impacts Wall Street in that the more investors you get, the more liquid the markets become. So during times of volatility or sell-offs, there's money to absorb those sell-offs and they're not as dramatic as they would otherwise be if you didn't have that liquidity in the overall marketplace. Wall Street thrives on capital. The more capital, the healthier Wall Street is. The more financial literate people are, the more capital Wall Street gets. The final trading day of April is an ugly one. The Dow right now is down by more than 500 points. It's a 520 point loss. NASDAQ is really the place that you want to keep looking at because of Amazon and that stock's historic day uh, in a negative way. NASDAQ's down by nearly two and a half percent. We've said it's the worst month for the NASDAQ since October, November of 2008. So it's been a while since we've seen this much selling. Uh, in a month. So there you go. The Nasdaq's at 12.5. Keep your eye there. We'll be right back with John's Unusual Activity. Let's do Unusual. Dr. J, what do you see today? Let's start it off with a stock that I gave you yesterday, Scott, for the stock draft. Um, PayPal, P-Y-P-L. Basically, uh, the stock was 90 bucks. They're in there buying, buying, buying 10,000. That's a million share equivalent of those September 9250 calls. So, Scott, obviously out there months into the future, 
um, much more than just a single quarter into the future. I bought the at the money 90 calls, and I certainly hope to sell higher strikes against it. This is a multi-year low that PayPal hit just recently. Second one, IWM. This one's kind of scary because they bought 40,000 puts. 40,000 puts is 4 million share equivalent. Um, they're buying them at the 182 strike, Scott. Um, that's with uh, the, basically the IWM Russell 2000 at 190. I bought at the 190 strike. And if we drop lower, I will sell puts against the puts that I own at that 190 strike. This is a May trade. Lastly, Netflix, another one of those uh, that we've talked about recently because of that big whoosh lower. Um, back up over 200 now, and they're buying the 210 calls in May, betting that between now and three or four weeks from now, basically three weeks from now, we see some sort of a pop back to 210. Again, I'm already long the stock. I am long the 200 calls, Scott, and I hope to sell upside against it as it rallies. All right. Doc, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, it is a, it's a tough day in the market. Thank you, uh, sir. Dow right now is uh, at the lows of the day, and I just want to keep updating you on that because now what was a 500-point loss is approaching a 600-point loss. That's not to say there aren't a couple mm. of bright spots. And by a couple, I mean a couple. One of them is Honeywell. It's <laughs> one of the best stocks in the Dow. It's one of the few in the green. And you know what? At this moment, <laughs> I'm not even sure it's still green. But five minutes ago it was. There it is. It's still holding on by 2.5%. And I bring it up because you own it. Yeah, Scott, this has been a final trade for me multiple times in the first quarter. Um, you know, orders are up 13%. Um, sales were a little bit lighter than maybe we had hoped, but that was really due to supply chain constraints. And the big bright spot here is aftermarket and aviation. So we're obviously seeing air travel pick up again. Um, we don't think that's actually going to slow down too much, uh, even with some of this inflationary pressure. Um, that seems to be a more sustainable trend. So in the industrial space, this is a, a top pick for us, and, and I think it's, um, it's actually outperformed uh, the S&P this year, and so we would, uh, we would continue to expect that to, uh, to be a good hold in this sector. Okay. All right. Good stuff. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades next. There are the markets. Dow's down 563. Uh, tune into overtime as well, three hours from now. Talk about this week and look ahead to next, which is a huge week given the Fed meeting. By the way, Jeffrey Gundlach is going to be back with us on Fed Day. That's Wednesday after the Fed makes its decision on interest rates. You're going to hear from Mr. Gundlach. I can't wait for that interview. Tonight, we've got Adam Parker. And you're going to hear from the professor himself. Jeremy Siegel is going to be with us this evening, too. Obviously, lots to talk about after all of these earnings and what might happen next week. Let's do final trades. Carrie, what do you have? I've got Thermo Fisher. It might be still up for the day. They reported earnings. They're life science companies. Uh, they make fantastic tools and analytical equipment for biotech and healthcare. And we think this is a solid business that sailed through COVID with a lot of um, extra business because of testing, but they're continuing to show growth and we think it can outperform this year. Okay, Shan? Uh, Union Pacific, uh, rail demand continues to outpace supply. Um, they need to get more engineers and conductors online. Um, we think this trend away from fully, full globalization to a more hybrid approach to production will continue to be a tailwind for rails right. uh, in the next few years. Doc? 
Hymax, H-I-M-X, Scott, I bought the June 10 calls. Give me a name, Josh Brown, before I run. A.O. Smith bought more this week. All right, good stuff. Great weekend, the OT. I'll see you then. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.